Thank you, worship team. If you uh, find a handout or a, a sermon outline helpful, you can pull that out of your uh, worship folder. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Well, Merry Christmas. We are told by a song that we are presently in the most wonderful time of the year. And that really is the truth, isn't it? When we start looking and understanding the message of Christmas, the coming of Christ, we realize that the message is there, and not only that, it's a great time to be celebrating with family and being together. I, I read this week of an elderly man in Phoenix who called his son in New York and said, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. Forty-five years of misery is enough. And Dad, he said, what are you talking about? Well, we can't stand the sight of each other any longer, the old man said. We're sick of each other. I'm tired of talking about this. So call your sister in Chicago and tell her what's going on. Well, frantic, he calls his sister who explodes on the phone. There's no way they're divorcing. She says, I'll take care of this. So she immediately calls her father in Phoenix, and she unloads on him, you are not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'll, I'm going to call my brother back, and we will both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. Well, the old man hangs up the phone, and he turns to his wife, and he says, okay, he said, the kids are coming home for Christmas, and they're paying their own way. <laughs> now we have to figure out how to get them home for Easter. Well, Christmas is special. It's a time to be with family. It's a time to celebrate, and it's a time to ask the question, why is Christmas special? All year round, people prepare for Christmas. Stores shut down at this time of year. Offices closed. People make plans month in advance. But we need to ask the question, why is Christmas so special? We find part of that answer in Luke chapter 2. You can follow along in your Bibles, or you can... Listen as I read this familiar passage of Scripture. Luke says that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on peace and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds glorified, returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, for the shepherd, it was an ordinary evening, an evening like numerous evenings before until the angel of God appeared. Imagine having an angel of God appear to you and not only having an angel of God to appear, appear to you, but have the glory of God to be present in your, where you are. See, the truth is this, is that when God shows up, his glory comes with him. We see examples of this in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus chapter 33, we read that when the children of Israel were moving from 
Egypt to the, to the land God promised, whenever they stopped, they would put outside, the, outside their campground, they would put what's called a tent of meeting. And whenever anybody wanted to meet with God, they would go to the tent of meeting. And when Moses went into the tent of God, something special happened. The Bible says that whenever Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud or a cloud shaped like a pillar would descend from heaven, and this pillar of cloud was evidence of God's presence, that God was coming down to talk to Moses face to face. In verse 29 of Exodus 34, we find out more of what happened when Moses went in to talk to God. Whenever Moses went in, it says, before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had been commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put on the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with God. Later in verse 33, in chapter 33, we come to another experience that Moses had. And Moses was carrying a tremendous leadership load. And so one day he went to God and said, I need evidence that you are with me. He said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Why is that? Because the glory of God was too great. Our bodies, friends, are not made to see the glory and to experience all of God. And so imagine that when the shepherds came, that they only saw a portion of God's glory. And then another story from Exodus 34, that when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, where he received the Ten Commandments, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face had shone because he had been talking with God. Friends, in other words, when we have God with us, we will never be the same. And in many ways, I believe this is the message of Christmas. When God came, He came to change you. When God came, He came to love you. And friends, whenever God loves you, He changes you. Whenever God shows up, lives are changed, destinies are formed, testimonies are born, and God's glory is seen, and His presence is made real. This morning, we want to take a few minutes and look at the lives of the shepherds. And how do we respond when God shows up? What do we do when God makes himself real to us? Number one on your outline, when God shows up, we will be affected, verses 8 and 9. And in the same reason, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. They They were affected. They were impacted by this occurrence. So our response, our first response when God shows up is to be prepared. Now, what does it mean to be prepared? To be prepared means that we are to expect God to show up in our lives. Now, how many of you have ever asked God, God be with me? God be with me. God watch over me. God be with me in this situation. Well, this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when we realize that we are sinners, when we realize that we can never get to heaven on our own, and we come to God and say, God, I want your sin to pay the penalty for my, or your death to pay the penalty for my sin, and I want, you, I want to be your child. I want you to be my father. When we accept Christ as our Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes into our heart. So this is it, friends. God is with you all the time. There is never a time that God is not with you. So when we pray, maybe we should pray, God, would I, help me to sense your presence. God, help me to believe stronger in your presence. God, help me not just to know your presence, but somehow, God, reveal to me that you are with me. 
Do you know what I believe? I believe that God wants to make himself known. God wants our faith to grow. He wants our understanding of him to increase. He, and our responsibility is to prepare and be prepared when God shows up. Because God shows up in ordinary days. In Mark Batterson's book, All In, he tells of a story 50 years ago, a story that happened on the Mississippi Delta. And it was a very difficult summer. There was a huge drought, a drought that's so big the crops were all in danger of, of not surviving. <coughs> and this little Mississippi church called a prayer meeting. And all of the farmers wore their traditional overalls, except for one farmer who showed up wearing his hip waders. What was he doing? He was preparing God to answer his prayer. Friends, when we come to God, we need to come prepared for God to show up. We need to come prepared for God to answer. We need to pray in ways to say, God, get me through this. Change me. Make me able. Help me, God, to see your presence and do, God, in my life, whatever you want to have happen. See, what friends, is, friends, what God wants to do, God wants to make us holy, not always happy. And sometimes to make us holy, he has to take us to a testing period so that we can see him more clearly. God shows up on ordinary days. He loves us, and we need to be prepared to see him. Number two, when God shows up, he has something for us. Verses 10 to 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, why do you think... Why do you think that God came to the shepherds? He came because he had something for them. He had something that he wanted them to receive. So what is the key word? The key word for us is to be open. Then angels came and said, you are today recipients of the announcement that the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. Friends, we need to be open to God and come to him with our hands open rather than our fists closed. We need to come to him with our arms outstretched rather than our arms crossed over our bodies. We need to come and say, God, you have something for me and I don't want to miss it. Are you open? The question is, is, are we open to God working in our lives? Because the Bible tells us again and again that God has not stopped working, intervening, interceding, or interrupting our lives. That we are to be open in believing that God has something. In whatever situation you are in today, God has something for you. And what can happen, sometimes we are so overwhelmed with the situation in life that we can't see beyond the situation. We can't see what God might have, have for us. And sometimes what we do, we get disappointed in life. We have a problem, we have a situation, and we ask God to answer, and God doesn't seem to ask, answer. We ask God to do this, and he doesn't seem to do that. Because what sometimes God does, God shapes us into holiness. Sometimes he tests us and lets us go through difficult times so that he can shape us. But in that period of disappointment, if we're not careful, we can begin to stop expecting God to show up. We can begin to think God is not going to answer and we need to be careful that there's nothing inside our lives. There's not an attitude or an action or a sin or a behavior that is keeping God from speaking to us. Dwight Moody once made this statement. He says, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Are we sometimes full of other things 
so full of other things that there's no room for God to come in. Is there room in my life? Is there room in your life for God, for what has God, what God has for you? Is there time for what God wants you to do? Are we open? Are we vulnerable to receive? Are we willing and vulnerable to stand before God and say, God, this situation is not fun. It's not easy. It's difficult. But God, I am trusting that you are going to get me what I need. And Father, that you are going to change me in the process. Sometimes when we're going through a tough time, we need to say, God, don't waste this pain. Don't waste this difficulty. Help me to receive what you have for me that I can become who you want me to become. What message might God have for you? He might have a message of hope, of of direction, of conviction or comfort, a word of healing. He might have a task that he wants you to do or something that he wants to tell you. There might be caring or confronting, using your gifts or moving away um, from using your gifts so someone else can step in. The question we are wise to ask is, God, if God showed himself to me, would I be in a place where I could recognize him and receive from him what he has for me today? Number three, when God shows up, praise is the right response. Verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God had just done an amazing thing. He had fulfilled a prophecy that had been over 700 years. People had been waiting for it. And he gives this announcement to the shepherds, the Savior, there's a baby been born in Bethlehem who is the Messiah, the promised one, and immediately a multitude of angels, a multitude is a great number, more than we can count, immediately appear and say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is, he is pleased. Friends, when God shows up, we are to be responsive. When God shows up in your life, we are to say, thank you, God, for what you've done. When God shows up and does something in us, our immediate response should be, thank you, God, in gratitude for what he has done. In, order, in other words, what we do, we give God the praise so that he can continue working in our life. My mentor told me years ago that when I praise God, <clears throat> I open myself up to receive from him. And when I open up myself to receive from God, I'm not only declaring my praise, I'm not only saying thank you, what I'm saying is, God, please receive my praise, please receive my gratitude as an expression, as an indication a proclamation that I trust you. So when we praise God, we're saying we're opening ourselves up to receive from God and we're also affirming that we trust him. Two things that happen when we praise God. Now friends, are we always going to feel like praising God in every situation? No. But when we praise God, we are no longer dealing with whatever situation it is on our own and we are establishing a solid foundation saying, God, you are trustworthy. We need to remember. In the past weeks, we've been talking about The fact that in the Old Testament, there were often monuments set up by the people of Israel that reminded them of what God had done. We read that after the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River in going into the promised land, that 12 men, one from each tribe of Judah, went into the middle of the Jordan River. Each of them grabbed a stone. They brought the stone out and they made a monument, a monument that remembered to remember God's faithfulness. Friends, every time we praise and thank God, we are establishing establishing in our minds a memory, an internal monument commemorating God's faithfulness that we can look back on and say God was faithful. We can look at and say God took care of me. It's establishing an openness to receive from God and establishing a deeper trust in Him. Number four, when God shows up, we are given an opportunity. 15 and 16. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They're given an opportunity to go and not just, not just to hear what had happened, but to go and see it. The shepherds make a decision. They decide to follow up on what they've been told, and they go to Jerusalem, or they go to Bethlehem to see this child. Now, the question is, why did the angels, why did God decide to send the angels, a multitude of angels, to the shepherds? In this time of history, shepherds were near the bottom of the social ladder, They were often uneducated, unskilled, and often viewed as dishonest, unreliable, and they were seen as having such low moral character they weren't even allowed to witness and testify in a court of law. So why were the shepherds the first to hear about the birth of Christ? Why did the angel Gabriel, was the one standing before this group of shepherds, to give an announcement that would literally change the world? Let me suggest there are two reasons. Reason number one is because if Jesus would have, if the announcement of Jesus' birth would have been sent to the religious leaders or to the socially elite, the case could have been made by these individuals that God was only for a certain few. By the coming of the angels to the shepherds, you know what God was saying? God is for everybody. See, sometimes what can happen in our minds, we can have such, we can have memories of things we've done in the past. We can have sins that we've committed, and Satan keeps reminding us, even though they might have happened years and years ago, Satan keeps reminding us, and, we, and the shame we feel keeps us from being liberated. And what God was saying when he came to the shepherds, he said, there's no sin that I won't forgive. He said, there's nothing that you could ever do that would be lower than my grace, my ability to pull you out. He said, I have came to heal your life. I have come to restore you. I have come to give you a new beginning. The second reason he came to the shepherds was to let everyone know that not only does he, is everyone welcome and can everybody be healed, but the second reason is because God can use everyone. God came to the shepherds to make it clear that if we are humble, that if we are teachable, that if we are vulnerable and open, that you, no matter what your position in life, can be used by God as a vehicle of His grace and mercy. Never allow any past mistake and never allow any errant thought to convince you that God can't use you. And I have found in my life that sometimes what God uses the most is not my successes, but it's my failures. Sometimes the most difficult times in my life have been the vehicle that God has used used to communicate communicate His grace. Chuck Colson is quoted in Kyle Eidelman's book, The End of Me, as saying this. Colson says, the greatest paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men and women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the thing that God has chosen to use in my life is none of the successes, the achievements, Degrees, awards, honors, or cases I've won before the Supreme Court, that's not what God's using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict and went to prison. That was my greatest defeat, the only thing in my life I didn't succeed at. What's the application? The application is be ready. Be ready to be used. Offer God all of you. Give Him your talents. Give Him your gifts. And in humility, give Him your struggles and give Him your failures. You might find that it's the very aspects of your life that you want to forget that God wants to show use, to showcase His mercy, His grace, and His love. Friends, we really, really need to remember that point. We really need to remember that God redeems all of us. 
That there's not a portion of our life that God can't use. But what he does ask is that we humble ourselves before him. We take a humble attitude and we say, God, in the midst of my failures, may your grace be such that you can use the most difficult and and embarrassing part of my life to lift lift up your name. See, friends, this is what we have to remember, that God's grace is greater than anything bad or good that we could ever done, have ever done. And God wants us to be so vulnerable to him that when he uses us, he encompasses every aspect of what we are. The fifth thing is we have a story to tell. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The New Living Translation says the shepherds, after seeing him, told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about this child. Number five, we have a story to tell. Be an influencer. Friends, there's two ways that I believe we really influence people. One, we influence people by our words. Second, we influence people by what we are truly committed to. First of all, our words. The words that come out of our mouth have the ability to lead people to God or away from God. Words communicate our thoughts. They communicate our beliefs. They communicate what we value. They communicate our dreams and our desires. Our words can communicate more than we can ever imagine. The Bible even goes further than this. The Bible says that the content of our heart is seen through what we say. In other words, if you want to know what's in your heart, listen to what you're saying. Are our words full of mercy and love, of kindness? Or are they full of vileness, of swearing, of judgment? What are our words full of? And as we listen to our words, we might have to say, God, I need you to do a transformation in my heart so that what comes out of my mouth is something that would honor and glorify you. Friends, our words tell a story. They tell a story of our life. Kyle Eidelman, Kyle Eidelman in his book, The End of Me, tells that Ernest Hemingway was once asked to make a bet. He was with a group of authors having lunch, and the other authors bet him $10 that he could not write a short story that was only six words long. Well, he took the bet. He pulled out a napkin and wrote the following six words. He wrote the following story. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. I remember the first time that I read that line, I literally stopped and said, oh my gracious, what happened? Because our words, friends, what comes out of our mouths tells a story. They tell a story of what is important to us. The second way we communicate or influence is by what we're committed to. See, all of us are committed to something and our life communicates inertly or just plainly we can't help ourselves but communicate what we value. If we value money, that's what comes out of our life. If we value relationships, that's what comes out of our life. Whatever we value comes out of our life. And if we value God above all else, that is going to come out of our life. The shepherd's lives were transformed. Can you imagine them not continually telling the story? of what happened to them on that hillside, they had a story to tell. And let me suggest that you and I have a story to tell. You have a testimony. You have an experience. It's not by accident that the word testimony begins with the word test. Past the test, you have a testimony. And our lives are to be an expression of our commitment to God. And here's where I believe this often starts and ends. God, would you 
I give you all of me to change me from the inside out so that what I believe in, what I value, what I'm committed to, I am committed to you more than everything else. When I think of this area of life, I filter it through what you think. When I think and am involved in this area of life, Father, I'm thinking that through the filter of what you believe. Every area of our life is filtered through what God says, through his truth, that we become so familiar with the words in this book that this work, book and the words in it and the Holy Spirit's work in our life transforms us so that our primary commitment is evidence through everything we do. There's not a section of our life that is in discrepancy with what this book says. Now, will that ever happen perfectly? No. But friend, may we make that our goal to say, oh God, may I seek you and may your Holy Spirit guide me. May the greatest desire be for daily for me to mature in my relationship with you. Number six, when God shows up, people will respond differently. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things in pondering them in her heart. The application here is be aware. Be aware that not everyone is going to respond to God like you do. When the shepherds told the story, some wondered at it. To wonder means to try to speculate, figure out what it means. How did this happen? How does it affect me? It talks about more of an intellectual try to figure, to try, trying to figure things out intellectually. And that's not wrong, but it can't stop there. Do we read? Do you see what Mary did? But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. What the shepherds told Mary, guess where we were just on a hillside? We were minding our own business. An angel, the angel Gabriel, showed up. He said this, this multitude of angels came and sang praise and glory to God. We came here right away. We had to see if this was true. You know what the, when the shepherds told Mary that story, what did it confirm? It had confirmed what she had heard over nine months ago when the angel Gabriel said to Mary, you shall conceive and you shall give birth to the child, to the coming Messiah. It was like sauce. It was like comfort to her heart. She treasured those words because it confirmed what God had told her. Friends, I pray that as we get into the new year that we treasure these words. I haven't had a specific Bible reading plan for a few years. I've read a lot of Scripture, but I haven't had a plan. And as I've been thinking about this in the last month, I called a friend of mine and said, do you have a Bible reading plan? He and I were talking one day, and he gave me a plan. And I'm going to begin reading through the Bible in January. Because I want to treasure these words. I want these words to be what is influencing my mind more than anything. God, would you take the words from Genesis to Revelation, and would your Holy Spirit take them and apply them to my life so that they are what form the basis of my very existence, what you tell me about who you are. Lord, might I treasure your words. And number seven, <clears throat> when God shows up, we will be changed. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here is the statement, the application, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable to what God might want to do in your life. The shepherds' lives were changed forever. They would never again just be shepherds. They would always be the shepherds who encountered God, <clears throat> who were changed by God. I am not sure if there's anything in my life or few things in my life that have had a greater impact of changing me than me coming to God with a totally humble and vulnerable heart. <clears throat> me coming to God and coming to other people that I trust and says, here is my life. 
for the last 27 years, or since I've been 27, I've always had men in my life that have known everything about me. There have been times I've wanted to talk to them, times I haven't wanted to talk to them, times I've had to call them and say, I really messed up with joy today. And I need to tell you I messed up so that I can get myself back on track and be the godly man you want me to be. Vulnerability with God and with others, I believe, is a door that opens up us, us up to transformation. Friends, I know that sitting here today, there are those of you that have struggles, you're dealing with things that you need to have changed in your life, things that are taking you away from what you really need, you know is important. And I want to encourage you from the bottom of my heart, be vulnerable. Come to God and say, God, I can't deal with this. I'm struggling with this. I need your help. Find somebody else that you trust that will take you through your ups and downs and help you change because this is what I have found. I have found that every time I come to God and come to his word with a hunger to find and discover him, he changes me. Every time I pray with honesty, eager to hear God, that I leave my knees with a slight, slightly larger view of God and a smaller view of me. Every time I worship with a pure heart and a desire to express to God my gratitude for how he has changed me, I leave that worship experience renewed and ready to begin again. Every time I'm vulnerable about my sin and my need and my dependency on God, I am healed and comforted and I gain new strength. I have also learned that when I truly grow, I will not ungrow. I will not lose what God has changed or transformed in me. To that degree, I am new. I am renewed. I am different. And I've learned that every time I grow, that the the trajectory of my life changes. Because real growth does not only change my actions, it changes me. See, friends, I'm not interested in my actions temporarily changing. I am interested in my life changing. I'm interested in God dealing with the very core and essence of who I am, that out of me might come a natural expression of God's work within me. Friends, I don't know what you have to do. Some of you need to make changes in your life. I, over the years, have had to make numerous changes in my life. I've had to give up friendships. I've had to gain friendships. I had to give up disciplines. I've had to gain new disciplines. But this I know. I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Christmas is about God coming to earth to love you. And whenever God loves you, he will change you. And whenever he changes you, your life will be more complete and more fulfilling. You will be more at peace, and there will be less internal conflict. Bill Moore grew up in poverty. He got drunk one night and shot a man for $5,000, and he ended up on death row. While in prison, some men visited him, and they said, Bill, there's a man, Jesus, who loves you and gave his life on the cross for you. He died for you. He went to death row for you. See, no one had ever told Bill about Jesus before, and he'd been sitting on death row for years. He turned his life over to Jesus that day, and it changed him so much. It changed the darkness in his life. It turned around the bitterness. The hatred inside him began to began to move away. He was so changed that other people began to be drawn to him. People started coming to meet this man on death row, and when they came to meet him, they met Jesus. He became known as a peacemaker. His cell block was the safest place in the penitentiary because so many people were coming to Christ through Bill Moore. In fact, 
Churches found out about this. And when people needed counseling, no kidding, they started sending people to the penitentiary to get counseled by Bill, Bill Moore because Bill Moore had been so changed by God. Can you imagine calling a church for a referral and hearing them say, well, you need to go to the penitentiary. There's a man there that you need to talk to. And the question is, is who makes this kind of a change in a man's life? And the answer is Jesus can and Jesus does. Bill Moore was so changed that he won the love of the family of the man he killed. He changed so much that over a 16-year period that all kinds of people wrote letters of affirmation for him, and eventually the authorities could not ignore it. They not only canceled his death sentence, they commuted his sentence, which is unprecedented, and they paroled him. And after being released from prison, he became the head of a congregation in a couple of housing projects in a desperately poor area. What changed his life, friends, it was Jesus. When the message of Christmas is simply this. Jesus came to offer us something that we could not purchase for ourselves no matter how much we tried. He came to love you, and when God comes to love you, he comes to change you. There's an old hymn that I used to sing as a boy. The words went like this. Maybe you know them. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin, but the light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, to shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Because the light of the world, the light of the world is Jesus. Friends, that is the beginning and the end of all we need to know. God will guide us from there, but our starting place is getting on our knees before our God and saying, God, I need you in my life. I give you all that I am. Please come and change me, and God will do it in a way that will fit with you and me. Because that's what God does. He loves us, and he changes us. He heals us, and he restores us because he is the light of the world and the lover of our souls. Would you stand with me in prayer? Father God, what a tremendous gift you gave at Christmas. The gift of a son who came to live and to die, that you might love us and change us. And Father, there's not one of us here today that don't need your transforming love to change our lives. There's some here that have addictions, some here that are struggling with things they can't get over on their own. Others have anger and discouragement and depression. Others are dealing with anxiety. Others are in trouble and worried about things in their life they can't control. And Father, you want to show us that you're bigger than all of this stuff. And you will offer us, God, what we cannot give ourselves. So today at Christmas, Lord, help us to receive your gift of love, your gift of change, your gift of transformation. Father, blank out the other voices that are telling us anything that is not line up with this truth. And help us just to believe you. And come to you in humility and say, Lord, change me. And now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and may he give you his peace. Amen. Have a great and blessed day.